2: forever
1: dog Rose and Jamie are two best friends and they love sex and the city and they couldn't help but wonder do you love it too? Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Samantha, Charlotte, Cosmos, so many heavy little dudes all the dudes and we couldn't help but wonder Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Could It, it Help, Help But Wonder. Wonder, a podcast where we talk about sex in the city and how it relates to us.
2: Oh my goodness. Hello, friend. This is, uh, we have a bit of a different setup this week. Um, we're doing at-home recordings because we are socially distancing, so we're trying out some new technology using Zoom. This is the age of Zoom, and we're
1: Zooming, baby. That's right. So if it sounds a little different, bear with us. Um, you know what's amazing is how adaptable human beings are, because, like, two weeks ago, a month ago, like, nobody had ever lived through something like this, and we're absolutely. so absolutely. Da- We're so adaptable. Now we're like, oh yeah, social distancing, quarantining, isolating. I know. Kind of amazing how quickly, nobody likes it, but it's amazing how humans just like, okay, we got to adapt, we'll adapt. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the whole
2: world just pivoted once we heard what was going on. And uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's weird. It feels like all of this has been going on way longer than it has. Like, I feel like we've lived this way for a year and a half and it's only been like a week and a
1: half. Yeah, totally. It's, time it's-
2: is I I mean I feel like true detective. I'm like time is a flat circle. I don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah, it's totally true. But I've been a freelancer for like the last couple of years so like I never know what day it is or what the date That's is. That's true.
2: I do think that for us it, it it we yeah, we have like more fluid schedules but it's tough. I'm trying to create more structure in my life. What about you? Like do you well, you actually still you are you're writing right now.
1: Yeah, I, I'm still working eight hours a day, plus working on some projects. The thing that has really helped me is, um, I cardio really relaxes me. So I take an hour long walk before I start work and an hour long walk as soon as I'm done. Oh, lovely. And then I'm just like in a good mood. Um, so that's helped me a lot.
2: Yeah. I've noticed myself, like I, I was a a gym workout person for the most part. And then on days that I didn't go to the gym, I was not moving at all. Um, So it's been a pretty big adjustment for me, but I will say I've like reacquainted myself with just taking a walk or going for a run outside or like enjoying the outdoors more. And I also find myself doing different types of exercise, which has been really nice. Like before I was like, I do this one, like hit training, circuit training thing, like, you know, three to four times a week. And that's what I do. And now I'm like, yeah, if I feel like it, I could do like a workout on my porch or maybe I'll take a stroll at the Hollywood Reservoir. Like, I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of taking it day by day and trying to make things interesting in any way I can. Like, I don't want to get sick of any one thing. So same with food. I'm like, I want to try and like eat different things every day and like cook different things. I just don't want to feel like I have to do the same thing every single day. Cause I think it's very easy right now for every single day to feel like the same day over and over and over again. I don't want it to feel like Groundhog's Day.
1: That's true. Speaking of, uh, who were you this week, my dear?
2: Oh, my dear. Who was I? I, hmm, I guess a carry. I mean, through and through, it's a lot of being at home, a lot of laptoping, a lot of thinking, a lot of couldn't help but wondering. There's a lot to wonder right now. So yeah, pretty much just a straight up, not diluted, (laughs) like not carry on the rocks, just carry, carry straight up, carry neat.
1: That's really a cute thing. I love that. How about you? I think this week I was a tray. (laughs) (laughs) Obsessed with the answer. Do go on. Because he's obsessed with his mom and I stayed with my mom for a week and I really love my mom. And, Oh,
2: your mom's your bunny. That's Trey's mom's name, right? Bunny.
1: You know, I, I mean, not to sound like a downer, but I have friends that don't have parents. I know people that don't have families literally in case of an emergency, they have to call a friend, which is honestly sounds terrifying to me. And I just feel so grateful that hopefully if you had a, a mom who wasn't a terrible mom. Like I feel like nobody in my life will love me like my mom does. Like my mom just loves me so fucking much. So it was really nice for me to be with her for a week. And I think it was good for us. And Mm. she was very micromanaging and controlling because she's very scared of getting Corona because she's 65 and she has diabetes. And so there was a lot of rules in the house and a lot of telling me to do the same thing a hundred times, but we had actually like this really amazing conversation. (gasps) Really? Yeah, because she's a really, I love her so much, but she's a very hostile communicator. So is my mom. When she's upset, she says mean things and she blames people. And she and she was really upset at me because my mom lives in a house, very close walking distance. It's like seven blocks to the beach. So you can walk to the ocean. So every day I was walking to the ocean and I was keeping social distance, but she was mad because she because the beach was getting more and more crowded. And I was walking on the strand and she's like, you can't do that anymore. You're putting me in danger. Yeah. And she's really upset. And she said, you don't even care about me. And I said, mom, stop, stop right now. Let's not get into a discussion where you're blaming me and you're saying things that you don't actually mean. Cause it's just going to make me defensive. How do you actually feel? And she said, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm really, Aww. really
2: scared. Wow that's amazing
1: that she yeah. uh, that she, she like switch she did that in the moment that's huge yeah and then I was I immediately really endeared to her and I was like I can understand you know it's heartbreaking to hear your mom say she's terrified yeah. and you know um, but it really enabled us to have a good conversation I said mom you know whatever you say I'm staying at your house it's your rules if you want me to wash my hands ten thousand times I will I, I'm not gonna do that when I'm in my house but I'm here now um, and we just had a really nice conversation I mean, I couldn't stay longer than a week because she is very micromanaging and it was getting a little too much, but I love her very much. And, um, you know, everyone who has family is very lucky because in times like this, you're just like, fuck man, that's so nice.
2: Well, I was at my parents' house uh, around St. Patrick's Day was when I felt like that was the real turning point where it like, I guess on a personal level reached my life where I flew to Indiana. I was supposed to do stand up, and, uh, I had a full weekend of shows. I was in Indiana. I flew six hours to get there. And then I get a call from my agent and she was like, Jamie, like you have to get on the next flight. You can't be in Indiana. Your shows are canceled, all this stuff. So instead of flying six hours back to Los Angeles, I was like, you know what? Like the world is shutting down. Businesses are shutting down. I'm going to just like go be with my parents. So I went home and um, spent the weekend with them. And I thought I, I had a, a similar thought to you, Rose, where I was like, I was getting really annoyed with things. And my parents argue a lot in their house. They don't have a tiny house, but it feels tiny because their arguing is so loud that there's no room. There's no like actual room to get away from it. Like, right. like I can hear through the walls. My whole childhood was like, guys, I can hear you. I can hear you. I can hear you in the kitchen. I can hear, it's just like the way their house is structured. Right. And, uh, an
1: Echo chamber. Yes.
2: Yes. And my mom does this thing where she like thinks she's being quiet, but oh I goodness. can hear <laughs> the, I can hear the tone in her whisper is like
1: mean at my dad. That just wow. very, she like eviscerates him. And, uh, it just just gets- the same thing to my stepdad. It's like, you know, he'll make her coffee and she doesn't say thank you. She just orders him around. Hey, I need, I need more. Yeah. And I go, mom, do you want to say like, please, or thank yes. you.
2: My mom, my mom, uh, has my dad like do chores. Like he's a kid and he does them so well. And he'll it's, it's insane. And I'm, I'm not here to be like, my mom's the evil one. And my dad's perfect. No, like they're just a rough match. I would say right. anyways. The, the reason I'm bringing it back around to what you're saying is that like, even with all of that, I was like, you know what? At least I'm at my parents' house. Like at least, yeah. and they love me and they love having me home. And like, yeah. I'm, I am really grateful to even have a place to go.
1: There are like literally that. people that do not. Yes. Yes. And I, I also yeah.
2: have a friend who does not ha- doesn't speak to her family. And it's awful. Uh, yeah, it makes me really sad because as much as my parents argue, there's no question about how they, feel towards me. And like, when I'm home, I feel that uh, so oh. much. Like it, it's just there. Yeah. And I don't even have to think about it. And they're like, so devastated
1: when I leave and you're I like, know. Oh, they're like, a, it's like a nest. They're my nest. That's what I'm saying. My mom bursts into tears and she's like, you feel so lonely when you're gone. I was like, my mom
2: always cries when I leave. So much guilt. It's so hard. Oh, and I'm an only child. So it's like, Oh, I really don't, I can't like give you my twin I don't have, like, a Jamie stunt double. It's just me, you know? Oh, God. It's really rough. Really rough. But anyways.
1: Oh. Well, good to catch up. Great to see your beautiful face on Great Zoom. Great to see you on
2: Zoom. Yeah. Um, Kick us off. Today we're doing season three, episode 17, and it's called What Goes Around Comes Around. This is the episode before the finale of this season.
1: I'm excited to go over this because I have so many thoughts about this episode.
2: It's a, it's a it's very layered.
1: Okay, so... Things open up with Trey and Charlotte out of the city for some waspy hangs with Bunny, Trey's mother and Trey's family. As Trey and his brother bro down with some tennis, Charlotte steps away when she runs into the real highlight of the mansion, the hot gardener.
0: I don't know what it is, I'm strangely drawn to him. Of course you are, you know the man can plow. He had the most intoxicating scent, like sweat mixed with something else, something sweet yet pungent. Manure? And these full, sensuous lips. Does he water plants in Manhattan? This is insane, I'm married, I can't be looking at gardeners. Honey, what's the point of being in the suburbs if you're not gonna fuck a gardener? (laughs) Uh, He was so tan and muscular, and the sweat ran down from his chest onto his perfectly defined stomach. See, you read a couple Harlequin romances in high school, haunt you the rest of your life.
2: Yeah. What do you think of Charlotte's thirst for the gardener?
1: I love that he's like a shirtless, sweaty, gorgeous Adonis. It's like, I've never, I mean, not the gardeners are unattractive, but I just love how in TV, whatever someone's job is, whether there's a gardener or a dentist, they're like, they all look like John Hamm for some
2: exactly. reason. Exactly. Yeah. They're like the pool boys. Like my parents' pool boy has like Jeffrey Dahmer glasses and like a pedophile mustache. Like he is, He's no dream team. You know what I mean? Like, it's Every, just, yeah. yeah.
1: Every handyman I've ever had has like, a long chin beard and like weird whiskers. Yes.
2: And they're like, crack is hanging out. Like,
1: <laughs> and they're like still listening to Pearl Jam and you're like, what? Why? Why are <laughs> <laughs> we still, it's like their shirt sure always says tool or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. the fantasy. Also, it's like, Listen, if you have half a brain and you're a woman, you don't hire a hot nanny for your kids. And if you have half a brain and you're a man, you don't hire a hot pool buy and a hot gardener. Ugly help only.
2: Yeah, ugly help. That is the mantra.
1: Yeah. Um.
2: Yeah. Do you have any experience with the sort of wealth that Trey and his
1: family have? Like, Have you ever encountered people who have that level? No, been- because- I went to public school in LA. So most of the people I grew up with were very standardly mid- middle class. Um, so I think people that go to pro- private school meet people like that. And I also think that kind of wealth, I'm sure it does exist on the West Coast, but that's like East Coast. Yes. That's like St. Anne's Catholic school. I didn't go to a yeah. league. I mean, I don't know. If you go to a public school and a UC school, you're not meeting like the wealthiest of the wealthy. You're meeting like, Middle-class, upper-class people, but not, like, boats and stuff. Right, not, like, a Vanderbilt. No. Have you met people? Do you know people like that? I, yeah, uh, one, one
2: person in particular, a friend of a friend, who has a house in the Hamptons, and there was, she was throwing uh, an event there, like, a weekend-long thing, and I got invited. This was maybe, like, four years ago, and... By the way, when you hear Hamptons house, I mean, your mind does go to a place of like, oh, it's probably a mansion. But if you've been to the Hamptons, they're also like very normal one story, you know, sort of smaller houses there. So I really didn't know what to expect. And then I got there and I was like, oh, this is an estate. Like this girl just has an estate. And oh, she God. had a full staff and I mean, people working the grounds situation, oh. like, Excuse people me. everywhere like trimming bushes multiple people in the kitchen helping her like it was just it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen I was just like oh like this is like it's almost like it's a a Airbnb like a what am I trying to say a bed bed and breakfast but for one family I love it it was just unbelievable but to see it to really you're like oh this is a tv show I'm just living in a tv show it in like fact a- I heard this ties back to sex in the city. I heard later that her house was used in an episode of either an episode of maybe both an episode of sex and the city, but also where, um, in the first movie where I think it was the first movie or the second movie. I don't remember. Sorry. Drag me for not knowing, but where, um, stanford and mario Cantone's character get married i don't remember i think that might be the second movie i actually don't know um but yeah like they filmed at her house so it's it was insane anyways uh that's probably that's probably the closest i've come to feeling like i'm friends with trey fab okay so as the core for debate charlotte's gardener sitch natasha walks in the second she spots Carrie, she turns and leaves, but the brief encounter freaks Carrie out.
1: After lunch, Carrie wanders the streets, ends up making a wrong turn, and gets mugged. This reminds me of the scene in Clueless. I wonder if this is before that. He takes everything, her bag, her watch, and her Manolo Blahniks. Was this before or after Clueless? After,
2: after. It's very, it's very much an homage.
1: Okay. This He's, is an
2: Alaya. I love right, that. Right, right. An Alada?
1: Oh, it's amazing. Ugh. He's your classic footwear savvy mugger. And when he's done, Carrie stumbles into a salon for help.
2: When the police show up, Miranda follows with a pair of shoes for the barefoot Carrie. She also chats up Detective
1: Stevens, a very hunky cop, and leaves him her card. I'm just going to say it. I love when a guy hits on Miranda and doesn't even notice Carrie. I know. It's so it's so satisfying. So fun. Yeah. Over at her place, Samantha finds her voicemail boxes overflowing. Apparently another Sam Jones in the city is having a party, but somehow Samantha's gotten all his messages. She answers the next call that comes in and gets those hot party deets.
2: And Miranda tries to prep for her date with the detective, but it's not going well. The guy is just too hot. It's overwhelmingly, honestly, and she calls Carrie for support. After, Samantha and Carrie head to the other Sam's party. On the way, they talk Carrie, Natasha, and the cosmic purpose of Sam and Samantha. I just feel like there's some kind of cosmic purpose to all this. It's it's just too much of a coincidence.
0: So what do you think the cosmic purpose was of my getting snubbed by Natasha the other day? Okay. If I told you I had a piece of information about Big and Natasha, would you consider it a cosmic connection or just a random act of gossip? I guess I'd have to hear it first. Natasha loved Big. Their marriage is over. She's back to working
1: for Ralph Lauren.
0: Oh my God. Who told you that? A
1: little bird. I fucked at Ralph Lauren.
0: And you waited 15 blocks to tell me that? I wanted you to have fun at the party. I can't believe I'm responsible for breaking up their marriage. You are not responsible. It probably wouldn't have worked anyway.
1: I don't think I could feel any worse. What do you think about that conversation, James?
2: Um, well, I do agree with Samantha that Carrie is not the reason that their marriage broke up. Uh, It didn't help. She's definitely not, not a catalyst, but I do think that big and Natasha wouldn't have worked anyway because Natasha seems pretty grounded, pretty wholesome, pretty stable. And big is none of those things really. Um, yeah, I was thinking if I ever knew anyone who broke up a marriage and I actually do, um, I've heard of a couple of instances, two or three come to mind, but, um, you know, you hear these stories of like, you open up the marriage and things go awry. I've heard that more than, more than once at this I'm point sorry. in my life.
1: This is where the old traditional gal comes out and goes, that I shit trust don't me, work. That shit just don't work. Yeah. I, I think that
2: I feel like the times that I've heard that it's worked is when they went into the marriage both valuing that, like wanting to keep it open. I think that the people I've known who have opened up their marriage later and listeners, if you know anyone with an opposite situation from what I'm about to describe, feel free to DM us as always. But I always think that that is a sign that things are ending because I've known several marriages now that have ended shortly after they opened it up.
1: Well, I hear what you're saying, Jamie. I think I hear what you're saying. And I think I agree with you, which is if two people are like, I'm just not a monogamous person. They get married. It's been that way the whole time. It's another thing if five years in, you're like, should we maybe fuck other people? Yeah. 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 I'm with you, girl.
2: Yeah. I think if you both go in and it's like, you know, you've been open or you're into swinging or, you know, you both kind of have that edge in your relationship, again, to make me sound like I'm 90 years old, but I think that that's one thing because the foundation has already been laid. But I think when you're changing the foundation later is when it can get complicated.
1: Yeah. And I agree with your very empathetic read of, um, you know, Carrie feels like she's the reason that they got divorced and it's like, no, you're not. I mean, I think big would cheat on anybody. He would have
2: cheated. He would have cheated.
1: He's a person that doesn't like to be in relationships that are committed. And I also think it's really interesting how like, I've never been the other woman. um, But, you know, she was regularly having an affair with him over weeks and weeks. Oh yeah. And it's like, now she feels really bad because the marriage ended. It's I know it's,
2: it is a little like, oh, I forgot. I forgot that they were still together. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of shocking that like, yeah, it's shocking that it it didn't come sooner or that news didn't come sooner to Carrie.
1: Yeah. But I, I agree with you on an empathetic thing or she's like, oh my God, I was the one who ruined this marriage. It's like, at this point the marriage was ruined already in my opinion.
2: Yes. And, uh, also, though, I, when I saw this scene, it brings up that same ickiness I felt when they were having the affair. It has that same stink on it where you're just like, oh, like it, it's like you can just feel Carrie's guilt. It's so palpable. You can just feel that she just like no matter how many like emotional showers she takes, like the stink is still there. Like she can't purge it.
1: Which is really interesting the way a TV show, not to say that this is representative of all TV shows or something, but like a show like Mad Men, he cheated on his wife left and right. And there's no visible guilt. It's just, this is what he did. And this is a really interesting thing because this whole show is about karma and like what goes around comes around. And Carrie feels like so fucking guilty for having that affair. And she feels so terrible. And I even think the writers of the show were like, okay, well, if we're going to have a female lead that has an affair, the only way we can justify it is if she fucking hates herself and she feels Mm -hmm. like shit every minute of the day. Wow. really feels terrible. And if we drag her through the dust and it's like, how many shows have male characters who cheat and it's just not a big deal?
2: Rose, that is such a smart point. That is so interesting. I love that you brought that up because I actually didn't, I didn't watch all of Mad Men. I keep hearing that that's what happened. Um, that he cheated constantly and also was kind of like celebrated for it. I feel like, like, I feel like a lot of people watch that show and they're like, he's so, you know, they just love him no matter what, especially yeah. a lot of guys like look up to him. I feel like, yeah, yeah, in some ways. um, yeah. So yeah, it's just really interesting. You're right. Like they were like, we have to drag her over the coals. If she's going to do this, if this character's going to do this, we have to punish her.
1: Right. And it's like, if a female character is gonna do something bad, she has to feel like shit the whole time. She can't just be like, fuck it, I'm doing it.
2: I know. And also, that's actually an excellent point, too, when you think about Big, because there are plenty like Big also did the cheating, but when he comes back into Carrie's life, it seems a lot of people are, are a lot of people who watch the show are like, no, don't go back to him. But also a lot of people are like, they're meant to be. He's the one. It's like we're not sitting there being like, ugh, like big's disgusting. We're like ultimately kind of rooting for them, which is insane. It's insane.
1: That, that's correct. And also, Big doesn't seem like he's like torn up about it. He's not. I mean, he's drinking a little bit in that Aiden scene
2: at the at the whatever wood show, <laughs> the furniture, the yeah, wood booth show, bitch. Booth bitch. There's Skylar. Yeah. So I. You know, we see a little bit of remorse from Big, but also don't you feel like he gets drunk in the afternoon often? Like, it didn't feel like a huge departure from his personality.
1: No, and I just think that, like, people are so critical of Carrie's character and just think she's such a piece of shit. And it's, like, so interesting to me that if a woman on a show has a transgression, the only way they can justify it is if she's like, I'm shit, I'm the worst, I'm the most horrible person. It's like Totally.
2: Yeah. She's, she is such a well-rounded character. I mean, like really, when you bring it up and you, you frame it like that, like you were doing, it's just so clear. It's like, oh, she's, she has all the dimensions that a male character has that most male character have, most male characters that are celebrated in TV have.
1: Yeah. The only difference is they, they don't, I don't think grapple and have as much guilt.
2: No. They fucking own it and, like, cool swanky music plays behind them when they, like, leave the broad's apartment.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find
1: ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Anyway, uh, anyway, all right. So Carrie and Samantha make it to Sam Jones's place, which turns out to be a dormitory. Sam Jones is in college and also looks like a young David Spade. They still check it out, but it's not a great time. Samantha wants to straighten things out with Sam Jones before they leave and he drops that he's still a virgin. Over
2: at Charlotte's, she cannot stop thinking about the hot gardener. While Trey's asleep next to her, she has an extended masturbation session complete with Irish jig scoring. Trey wakes up and assumes she's having a nightmare, which is very Trey.
1: Carrie tries to soothe her guilty conscience by calling Natasha to apologize, but Natasha's assistant won't connect them. Carrie will just have to try something else. Charlotte, meanwhile, meets up with the hot gardener for a quick make-out.
2: Samantha gets a knock at her door from none other than Sam Jones, who showed up to apologize. He also essentially jumps on her, and they get to work losing that virginity of his. After, he tells Samantha he loves her, which she was not dying to hear.
1: Back at Bunny's, Trey's mother, word gets out about Charlotte's gardener fling. Trey's bothered, but weirdly not that bothered. At Samantha's, she discovers that Sam Jones may not have been the best college kid to sleep with. He left her over 30 desperate messages. Miranda and Detective Stevens head out for another date where she drinks way too much just in order to handle how hot he is, and they have some drunken sex back at her place.
2: That night, Charlotte finds Trey down on the tennis court working out his feelings. What are you doing out here? Improving my serve. Trey, stop. You're upset,
0: and what I did was so wrong, and I'm I'm sorry.
1: What can I say? I'm apparently unable to meet your needs, so from time to time, as much as I detest it, I guess I'm just going to have to look the other way. I don't want a husband who looks the other way. I want a husband who takes me in his arms and makes me not want to kiss the gardener. Charlotte, no marriage is perfect. And so much of what we have is wonderful.
0: So we can have separate lives still be together. It's totally acceptable. As Charlotte looked at her perfect husband on his perfect tennis court at their family's perfect country house, she realized the one thing that was missing was that perfect connection with an imperfect person. Trey. when we get back to the city, I think that we should separate for a while.
2: righty. <laughs> the all righties are unbelievable.
1: I think it's very hurtful. The fact, I think the saddest thing about this is that he seems sort of personally hurt, but not that offended. And, It's kind of like if you were flirting with somebody, you would want your partner to be devastated and like so upset and jealous and fighting for you. And like, just like the shruggy sigh that he gives about this is so painful to me. It's like just the whole problem. It's like, you know, you would think, oh my God, if I ever cheated on my partner, they would be like furious and so hurt and da da da. And just for him to be like, yeah, well, you know, I kind of get it. That's almost like the most offensive thing that somebody could. That's just so sad to me.
2: Agreed. Also, just the fact that his whole family is kind of like, oh, everyone, everyone makes out with the gardener. You know, you're like, oh, so everyone in this family has this arrangement where like they're not satisfied within their own marriages. So it's kind of like, a wink wink acceptable thing to like hook up with the gardener like I don't it's so it's such a there's like a legacy of sad marriages I feel like that that we see in this moment it's not just Trey it's like everyone in his family this is like kind of how they do things they're like yeah no marriage is perfect which is true um but also such a sad it's so sad for that to be um to be okay with this kind of like below status quo situation and just thinking that that's a way to have a relationship and you can make it work. It's like, Oh, it's no, it's just so broken, but you've somehow reframed it to make sense for you. And it doesn't, it's not a healthy relationship.
1: Yeah. And it's like, as far as like what he's proposing and the compromise, it just, uh, it's interesting too. Cause he's like, It would be one thing to like enter a happy marriage and be like, you know what? We have different libidos. I don't really like sex that much. You love it. We're totally in love. Let's do this.
2: Yes, I agree. If it was coming from that place, it would be different.
1: Yeah, like this constructive thing, but it's, it's, I think the most painful thing about this whole scene is sort of like the painful thing about the marriage, which is that like Trey's kind of just tapped out. Like Trey is so unavailable emotionally. It's not just sexually. That's the iceberg. It's like. Agreed. He is so checked out that when something's hard, he can't talk about it. He just gives up. It's like, that's a really, that's like a devastating person to be in a relationship with because they'll never fight for you. He just is so unavailable in such a deep way that there's no combination. And even when he's like, there's so much that's right with us. It's like, what? That's and what I'm, I'm
2: saying. That, that's what I'm saying. is like, no, there's not so much right with you guys. You're really broken It's really dysfunctional. It's actually super dysfunctional, but you seem to think that this is a decent relationship and that there's enough there to sustain a marriage. And it's, there's nothing, there's not really anything there. It's really just like, you're rich, you know, Charlotte's beautiful and you guys look perfect and that's enough for you. Like, it's just such a, again, it feels like, it feels like this is how he's been taught. Like, this is the way this is the way everyone in his family does it. And it's like, it's it just feels like, yeah, a legacy of dysfunction to me.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. But you know what's interesting is like, most people who are probably listening to this podcast know, have watched the whole show and know where it's going. But just in case you haven't, all I'm gonna say is, this relationship is an example of in life, sometimes you have to go through things like this to get what you're actually meant agreed. for. Agreed, agreed. to learn from these types of things. Because this relationship is, I'm Barbie, you're Ken, let's get yep. married. Yep. And then it's, it's like, oh, so but we're so not happy.
2: So the next morning, Miranda wakes up to find Detective Stevens left in the night. He also left her info for a local AA meeting to get help on her drinking. So they are done. Samantha and Sam Jones have one last meetup where he yells how much he loves her through her door and they are done. Charlotte goes back to her old apartment, which she was apparently subletting.
1: So are her and Trey done? This is really sad to me because he was nice and he liked her and she built in her head that he was so good looking that she could never compete. And so she got super drunk and ruined the relationship. And that makes me really sad because he didn't demonstrate that he thought he was better than her. Not at all. He was a hundred percent interested And she let her own insecurity self-sabotage. And I, not exactly about this kind of thing, but this resonates with me. I feel like I've probably, nothing is coming up exactly, but this idea of self-sabotaging something that's not really there, but letting your own insecurity ruin something, I've definitely let that happen. And so. Oh yeah,
2: same. I mean, I don't know that I've had it necessarily in the relationship capacity, But I've definitely had it in like in work situations where I tell myself like, oh, you you know, I guess it's technically fraud syndrome or what you hear fraud syndrome is just like thinking you're not worthy and creating this narrative in your head or this program that you run in your head of like, oh, well, it's like a mistake that you were chosen. It's a mistake that you're in with this group of people that, you know, who are so accomplished or who you find to be so inspiring, or whatever it is, and you just kind of choose to play low status in your head when no one has
1: deemed you that. You're you're the only one getting in your way. Yeah, exactly. That just made me sad about that Miranda storyline because it wasn't like he was an asshole and blah blah. It was truly a very nice, good looking guy liked her, and she just kind of like black got blackout drunk because she couldn't handle. Yeah, it. So she got. Too I nervous. thought that was bad. It
2: was. I just want to say, I also think that what is such a bummer about it is like, we know Miranda is so
1: impressive as a person. So this is purely a physical insecurity, which is like a really tough thing to see.
2: That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Cause she keeps saying like, he's just so hot. He's just so hot. It's like, well, he thinks you're so hot.
1: Yeah. I think I relate to this because even though Miranda's very beautiful and Whatever, like I was kind of an ugly duckling growing up, and I was so tall and so skinny, and and such a weird looking kid that, like, it's that kind of growing up thing can stick in your head way past.
2: Totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's shocking that any of us as adults like ourselves, considering how brutal it is <laughs> when you're a kid going through awkward phases, even whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, like. Yeah. I remember there was like a kid, I still think about it. There was a kid in this like computer class I took when I was like 11 years old, who was, who said I was ugly. And I remember, I remember he had us, it was more specific. It was something like, Oh, like, so I don't remember what it was. Something about my face. I, who knows? Maybe it was like related to acne. I honestly don't remember that part. I think I blocked it out, but I still think about that. And I'm sure that that impacts me. Maybe, maybe on a physical level and how I see myself, but definitely on a self-esteem level. There's no way that doesn't seep into your brain and stay there.
1: Yeah. I think Miranda's a really relatable example of a beautiful, smart, funny, accomplished. You know, yeah, and also very attractive woman who just is so stuck in, you know, the way she I don't know. I also relate to it too because I, you know, Miranda's very attractive. She's got a beautiful face, great body, whatever but she's a smart girl and I think that she has a lot of insecurity about not being like, you know, Carrie's like a tiny, fun, bouncy blonde. And yeah, I think that if you grew up like the smart girl or the one who's kind of like that, that's when you're in middle school and high school, there's individual guys that fall in love with you and the like you, but it's not like you're the one. And I think that has stuck with her for a long time.
2: Yes, I feel like she definitely, her um, her experience in like middle school and high school is informing how she sees herself as an adult, even though she has done so, she's accomplished so much to prove to herself otherwise, but she's still holding on to like those old embedded patterns.
1: And plenty of men find her attractive all the time, but it doesn't matter because she's got her own thing. Exactly, so anyway. yeah. So the episode closes with Carrie. Okay, and I want you guys to think about this as I talk about the last scene in the episode is imagine this happening with a guy going to meet a husband of a woman that he cheated with. Imagine that that would ever happen. So the episode closes with Carrie tracking Natasha down at lunch and apologizing. It doesn't go great. Natasha wishes Carrie had never crossed her path, had never broken up her marriage, and had basically never existed. Yikes. I do have a problem with this scene because I just feel like you would never see a guy who cheated on, who cheated with, you know, somebody who is married go and be like, I have to apologize to the husband. I feel so bad. Absolutely not. No TV shows, no movies. I do resent the fact that for this to be a watchable show, women need to see her apologize. Like we just can't accept. So true.
2: I also feel like the, the male version of the
1: trope, like more often ends in violence, which is like kind of wild to consider. Like there's the whole trope of like, A a man walking in on his wife with with another man, and then that like being like a physical confrontation. It's like that's the version of this
2: scene when it's uh, gender flip, which is kind of wild to consider. There's no conversation in the male version of it.
1: That's true. I guess it's it's not like the male version is that much better in a way.
2: Yeah, and there was there was a funny comedy moment in this scene where Natasha was like, "I chipped my you you made me chip my tooth or whatever she says," which was very funny to me, um, for her to like point to her tooth and be like, look what you did. Um, even though that was not a funny uh, thing to have happened to her, but I thought that was like a funny moment for, um, the Natasha character. But I did think that the rest of this, where she's like, you did this to me, Carrie, you did this, you did this, you did this. That also just feels like, to me, that also feels like the writers almost putting in a little bit of like a cat fight at the end. Um, Whereas I feel like if that maybe played out in real life, not that you wouldn't be hurt and express that to Carrie, but I don't know. I feel like you, even in your hurt, you would be like, it's his fault too. Like he fucked up too. Like I was married to him. I don't know. I just thought it was a little, I didn't like, I guess, that it was exactly what Carrie thought it was going to be that she does blame Carrie specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I could just see the group of writers. This doesn't thinking, feel layered. Yeah, I, th- I just think it was a roomful of writers going, okay, the lead in our show cheated. Uh, America won't like her unless we make her fucking pay. And I just feel like that is the most sexist thing ever. I just yeah. feel like we just would never go the other way. And I just feel like it's sad because I they're probably right. If Carrie just was like, yeah, I feel bad about that, but whatever shit happens, people would be like, people already uh, online think she's such a fucking cunt for just doing this, which is yeah. so- crazy and judgmental to me.
2: Yeah, Um, okay. Well, this, uh, this brings us to the end of our episode, which brings us to the question of the episode.
0: While I always ascribed thoughts about karma to the fortune cookie school of psychology, I wondered, does a string of bad dates really equal one good one? And will treating someone badly in one relationship ensure that you'll be treated badly in the next? Does everything that goes around really come around? And if so, will it come around to bite you in the ass? Is there such a thing as relationship karma? Do you think
2: that way? a li- uh I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure, yes, but I, I can't think of any specific examples. Um, I think that my my idea of relationship karma would be that I did something in a previous relationship, or I, maybe I. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, like something that I didn't appreciate in my partner in a previous relationship in the next relationship, I realized, oh, actually, looking back, like it wasn't it wasn't that bad. And like maybe everyone has this particular quality, if that makes sense. Like realizing like when you're in a relationship, it feels so insular, so you're like, Oh, like is this normal? I feel like that for me at least. I can't speak for everyone. But I always am like, is this normal? Is that a normal fight? Is that a normal perspective? Am I being too much this or too? I, I'm very in my head in that way. And I think that as you date and as you get older, having several relationships gives you some context that you don't have when you're in one relationship. Like it finally makes it less insular. Um, I don't know if that's relationship karma because relationship karma is like what goes around, comes around. But I guess for me, I've noticed, like I've been in past relationships where I was like, oh, that really bothered me about that person. And then I would move on to the next relationship and realize they did that thing too. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe it's not such a bad quality. I don't think that's exactly karma, but that's as close as I can come to thinking of relationship karma. I don't think anything has like fully bit me on the ass.
1: I think karma is an interesting concept. I, I think, I think as far as the concept of karma, I think if you hurt somebody, I don't think it comes around in this really like exact way.
2: I agree. I don't think so.
1: I think it comes around in that hurting somebody hurts you. Like, and so that's the karma. Exactly. Like, it's the
2: guilt and the yeah. regret. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: That's the karma. So I think if you treat a partner shitty, I don't think the next relationship, somebody treats you shitty. I think you suffer in that relationship because yes. you're, you it doesn't feel good to treat people shitty. Um, yes. so I think it's, and you like,
2: learn from, you learn from each relationship. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. but I Carrie sort of, it seems like what Carrie's asking is because I did this really fucked up thing with big to Natasha, am I going to fall in love with somebody who's going to fuck me over? I don't think that's exactly how it works. No, I think that, that what happens more than karma is if you are in an unhealthy, toxic relationship, or if you do something that you feel guilty about, I don't think something's coming to bite you in the ass, but I think if you don't work through whatever it is that that thing started for in the first place, it's just going to happen again. Yes.
2: That's very well put. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I don't, uh, yeah, I think that's right. I don't have anything to add. I think that's like exactly right.
1: Yeah. Cause it's like all the negative behavior that we experience and you know, it's like that famous therapy thing, hurt people, hurt people. It's like yeah. not going to stop doing that until you figure out what's going on. And that's a goddamn. That's a goddamn yeah. Thing.
2: That's also, that's interesting. Cause yeah, I guess the whole thing of relationship karma, it's a little bit carries a little bit, not taking accountability. There's a little bit of a, like, this is happening to me. Like What's happening to me? And it's like, well, no, you're just walking around with tremendous guilt and shame. And, you know, I guess you're trying to work through it by visiting with the person you hurt. But really, they're already hurt. The damage is done. You have to work through your own issues. What brought you to that point? You know, why did you do that? You know, what did you learn from it? what do you regret? Like you, I I feel like her way of sort of her way of like, uh, what am I trying to say? I guess like her way of trying to learn and process is not really dealing with her. It's really just being like, I have to talk to Natasha. And it's like, no, like you could talk to Natasha, but it's not going to fix this. You have to do the fixing on yourself.
1: I really agree with that. And as you were talking, it made me think as much as we know Carrie and love Carrie and love the show, we don't really know what her damage is. We don't no. really, we don't really understand what's going on because behind every person who is only dating unavailable people and who only finds an exciting, unavailable guy. There's always something there. It's kind of fascinating that we truly never get to it with Carrie. She doesn't go to therapy. We never meet her parents. We don't really understand much about, in a weird way, it's a little bit superficial. We don't really know. The show just shows her interacting with people, but we never get to the why, which is kind of interesting.
2: It is interesting. It also, I mean, it's probably what, yeah, it's interesting because it's like, there is sort of a question mark with her background, with you know the why. Why does she do things? You know the way she processes life, the way she processes different situations. Um, and I guess in a way, it gives her a lot of depth because we don't know. So it it allows people to fill in the blanks a little bit, you That's know. But it actually is quite shallow.
1: It's interesting too because it's like there's so many reasons why people can have issues with the opposite gender. Usually, it's their parents, but like I have a. Like, there's a very pejorative, insulting term, which is daddy issues, but it makes a lot of sense. And same with mommy issues, whatever. But it's interesting because I have a friend who has the same taste as Carrie, who has never been in a really happy, healthy relationship. She's an amazing family. Her parents are happily married. Her dad loves the crap out of her. She's got a brother. She's got all these positive male figures in her life. And I'm always like, wow, what happened here? (laughs) Like, it's kind of fascinating for me because it doesn't seem like the obvious.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh I do think it's interesting. I I'll I'll always wonder why they never had an episode where like Carrie's parents came to visit, even if it was just one episode.
1: We gotta well, at some point we're gonna interview Jenny Bix and we gotta ask her.
2: Yeah, I wanna know. I think it's interesting. Because we we know Miranda's family a little bit, just a little bit, because we we know we know she has a mom that, I mean, it hasn't come out yet, but we do learn that. So I don't know <laughs> that she has a mom. We know Miranda has a mom.
1: Exactly.
2: Um, but okay. So this brings us to, uh, our last segment of the episode, which is I'm horny for sex in the city is obviously a very horny show. So we end each episode by sharing what we are currently horny for Rose. What are you horny for right now?
1: Um, I'm kind of making this impossible for you to answer it. Cause I'm going to say something and you're going to be like, Oh, of course, but I'm horny for everybody who works at grocery stores. I'm horny for everybody who works at hospitals right now. I'm horny for everybody that's going out and doing stuff that doesn't feel particularly safe so that we can eat and be okay.
2: Yes. Uh, I I'll jump on that. I'm horny for Kristen Siriano, the fashion designer. He is, uh, working a whole operation to make medical masks right now and uh he has this whole team behind it and it's pretty incredible um it's also horrifying that he has to do that that there aren't enough but at least people are willing to open their hearts and their time and their wallets to helping others so
1: yeah i'm horny for the fact that people are doing good right now and like me too and (laughs) also
2: reaching out and asking if if you're okay like That is a, that's a big thing. Sending an are you okay text to someone goes a really long way. It it allows you to talk to people you haven't talked to in a long time. Um, You know, the obvious is that you can find out if your friends are okay, but it also just allows you to talk to people in this very sort of stripped down, basic kind of naked way that I feel like we don't necessarily take the time to do otherwise. So.
1: Well, it's really healing for me to do this podcast and see your face, even though I'm sad, same. I can't the room for you, but it's just, it's nice to feel, it's nice mm-hmm. to feel some bit of normalcy and, uh, yeah. nice to, to talk about sex in the city. So this is great.
2: Yeah. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help a Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CHBWpod.
1: And follow my co-host Rose Cerno on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host Jamie at Really Jamie Lee on Instagram and at The Jamie Lee on Twitter. And
2: please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app if you're nasty. It helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You're nasty. Bye. Bye.
1: Forever.
0: This has been a Forever Dog production.